Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of comics that have come out this week. <laughs> so I like to say it. That's a natural it's, way it's to... normal. And just a little context. We have just finished our live show, and we have had several drinks. <laughs> comics. I don't know We're if everybody knows. I don't know if everybody knows that that's what, how we <laughs> do this, books. how we professional journalists do this. But that is what's happened. <laughs> We're going to kick it off talking about The Riddler, year one, number one from DC Comics, written by Paul Bookham Dano, art by <laughs> Steven Subic. <laughs> this is an official prequel series to The Batman, the hit film that came out earlier this year, focusing, as one might assume, on The Riddler, showing how he became the villain he is when we meet him in the movie. And I'll say this up front, I am always very hesitant when you have an actor for the movies writing the book about their character or in the world of it or something like this. This was awesome. I also really enjoyed this. I thought this was, it was one of the rare moments where it felt like the actor being inside the character in, uh, in this case, his portrayal of the Riddler actually gave me some internal internality on the Riddler of the comic book character, which I thought was really great. The him walking around listening to podcasts, him like idolizing Batman and then sort of sinking into becoming his own Batman, which will, I assume, eventually turn him into the Riddler. I, I thought this was fantastic and beautiful art by um, uh, Steven Subic. All right. Um, so I've been loving every single one of these year ones up until this point. And I tried to go to do this with an open mind, but I didn't like the Riddler in the Batman. So mm. I was like, oh, man, I'm worried I'm not going to like this. And I didn't. And uh, and I think, you know, the art was super tight bananas, but I just felt like the super tight bananas. Uh, I, I just it felt so much like the Joker movie to me where it was mm. like, I don't care about this guy. He needs help. He needs to talk yeah. to a therapist. He needs to be <laughs> doing these other things instead of you know, staying in this little bubble, getting amped up by all these horrible people. So it was just like, oh, you prefer, I did not like it. I did not like it at all. year one of the Jim Carrey Riddler. Well, I, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, we see a lot of conversions of the Riddler. Riddle me this! Yeah, I just... I, 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 um, I hear your point. I actually think it's a really interesting comparison to bring up the Joker movie because I totally think you're right. It's totally comparison to that, uh, comparable to that, excuse me. But to Justin's point, I do think I also got a very similar impression that this is a pure extrapolation, but I imagine the Batman feels like the sort of movie where Matt Reeves, the director, was like, 
all right, everybody do your research, go back, figure out your character, yeah. write some diaries, have figure a Bible. out like, what do they do? Yeah. What, what's what are, your secret? Yeah. What's yeah. like how on their, uh, what do they do on their day off? And so that's what this feels like reading a little bit. But at the same yeah. time, what made it really work for me is it's an interesting story of how the Riddler frames himself up as like, yeah, me and Batman, we're the same. We're the same guy. Yeah. And gets him to this point of this movie. If I had not known it was Paul Dano and it was just in continuity, I would have been like, yes, this is a Tom King book. This is how Tom King would write this Riddler story. Well, take it easy yeah. there. Take no, it easy no, no, no. Legitimately, like in terms of the pacing and the framing and everything, the text pages of just uh, the way they framed it out with him just writing the same thing over and over again. I think it was like, I'm not worth it or something like that. And slowly it being overtaken by a sketch of Batman being like, you are worth it. I thought it was really interesting in terms of like taking us in this very uncomfortable place in the mind of an incel who feels marginalized by society. It's not a good place to be. It doesn't feel good. But in terms of psychologically exploring that, I think it was very successful. It is cool. He's writing I Am Enough over and over again, which is um, even sort of sadder, I think. And to have the Batman come up and say, you matter, is the the doodle he puts on top, which is cool. Yeah. And to Pete's point, totally get why you would have liked this. Like, this is the worst parts of society. So getting in that headspace is not comfortable. It's upsetting. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fun. And I don't want to... I don't want to escape, you know, I, I use comics as a nice kind of escape and a nice kind of, uh, yeah, I, this was just, it was all sorts of wrong in many different ways. So I had re- I had a real hard time with it. Mainly this could have felt like a vanity project and I don't think it came off like this. But why don't we move on to the next one and talk about uh, Star- Real quick, Pete, yeah. if you want, um, if this wasn't good for you, I would try um, Escape the Pina Colada song. <laughs> you would really enjoy that. Yeah, it makes gonna, you feel like I you're getting lost in the rain. Yeah, if you like pina claws and getting lost in the rain. Right. Star Trek. If you're not, if you're not into yoga. <laughs> We're drinking champagne. Star Trek. And have half one. a brin. Yeah, there you go. Star Trek number one from IDW Publishing, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, art by Ramon Rosanos. This is the team off the hot run on Captain America, taking on the Star Trek universe. It takes place in the same timeline as Deep Space Nine and Next Gen and everything. But the essential idea here is following up on the end of Deep Space Nine. What if Benjamin Sisko came back? for the weird afterworld that he was sent to at the end of that series, and then teams up with a bunch of all-stars throughout the Star Trek universe to solve a new mystery. Uh, this is another one that I was like, uh, I don't know. The Star Trek comics are yeah. kind of half and half, but I was like, give me a hundred percent. This is so baller. I, I feel like we're all when in like the Marvel comics universe and you saw a new writer will come on uh, the Avengers and be like, I'm going to put together my stacked Avengers squad. And you're like, of course, uh, that's naturally what's going to happen. And you just don't see it in a book like this where uh, Kelly and Lansing are pulling together all their favorite uh, Star Trek characters. You got Cisco. You got Dr. Beverly Crusher. You've got Scotty from the one episode of Next Generation where he <laughs> emerged from the transporter he had been frozen in and comes back into the present day. You got Data. You got a Picard shout out here. You got Paris from Voyager. This is popping off on the Star Trek universe, and I am here for it. Yeah, I feel like uh uh, I I miss a lot of the references. Like I was like, oh yeah, it's that guy, and then it was this guy. And I was <laughs> Data, like, uh, yeah. Data, you love you him, love Brent Spiner. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's got a cat. I know. Yeah, it, po- pointillism. He does. Yeah, 
Yeah. I, this I is just, definitely like this is like playing uh, stairway is essentially what this book is. You know, it's definitely up. yes, it's definitely like coming in and being like <laughs> yes, it's good good clarification. <laughs> no, the stair the stairway the mini series about the HBO. The, <laughs> yeah, the HBO mini series. Yes, this is like playing staircase. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> the HBO murder mini series. Uh, staircase. So, I can't separate it from caring about and knowing about the Star Trek universe, but if you care and know about the Star Trek universe, this is killing the game, is essentially what I'd say. So there you go. Very excited about this book and following that one. Let's move on to another one that I think we will perhaps agree on. AXE Judgment Day, number six from Marvel, written by Karen Gillan, art by Valero Shidi with Ivan Fiorello. This is bringing the AXE storyline to a close as a celestial, celestial, right? Is judging the entire planet, <laughs> judge them negatively, and the combined might of the Avengers, the X-Men, and the Eternals are trying to take it down for good. Ultimately, and spoilers here, I think you could probably figure this out, they do not destroy Earth and actually figure out a way out of it, but the end, but not without repercussions that will play throughout AXE Judgment Day Omega, the next issue that actually wraps this up. That preamble out of the way, the cover of the issue has all of the heroes giving a big thumbs down on it, and I think that's a really good summation of this whole series. (laughs) Alex with a classic Pete burn. (laughs) What did you guys think about this? He's like the guy in the Mets who's like, oh, Mr. Baseball? Mr. Met? The yeah. baseball hat, Mr. Mr. No, baseball. No, no, there was the a, Tom Selleck uh, movie. Suspenders. Uh, he went around. It's, he was a famous. Not a lot of people know this. It's Tom Selleck in the baseball hat. He's Mr. Matt. Yeah, actually, uh, on, thanks. I, loves I, the job. I know the guy who uh, played Mr. Matt for a while. Mm, was it Tom? Whoa, Selleck? Pete! Yeah, he took my improv uh, class. I got to go to a Mets game one time. Did he did wear the you, baseball How did said? you? In your class. Hard to improvise the not a baseball scene with uh, when he's doing that. <laughs> yeah. and, but let me ask you, Pete, did you feel like you were able to um, really bring out the met- the metness of him? Yeah, yeah, I was really, uh, yeah. No, he, it was, he's a very funny guy. I can see why he got that job. Very wow. physical comedian. Great. And that's a review of AXE Judgment Day. Let's move on to the next. No, what did you guys think about this one? Pete? Hey, I... Uh, you know, it, the last couple of issues are like, will they give us the thumbs up or thumbs down? And then it just kind of sat there at the end. And I was just like, what are we doing? Uh, I mean, this was um, I like endings in general, especially something as complex and I would say convoluted as this. At least we're coming to a close. I liked that the Celestial had imprinted Tony Stark's sort of mentality. We, that comes to um, can, can a head we, here. Can we talk about that for a second? Because I... That's like almost a trope in Marvel Comics at this point, and be like, oh boy, I made this bad thing. I'm Tony Stark. Oops. And it went horribly wrong and almost destroyed the world. Totally fine with that. That coming in at the end, I was like, wait, what? When did that happen? (laughs) Because there's so much going on in this book constantly, even in this last issue, and I appreciate the creative team. I like the artists. I love the the writer. Karen Gallen is great, but like... What what was going on in this? What was the emotional so, thrust of this? I just I don't know. Too much going on, and I mean, I, let me talk about the positives. Like one of my favorite parts of this 
uh, crossover or series were the human, the six panel, like actual people on the ground and what their lives, how their lives were affected by this, which is wild in a crossover with like the biggest super teams in the Marvel universe. It's like, I love those regular people that we're talking for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> But I am excited to read the Omega issue because I'm curious what the status quo is going to be established. And obviously, the death of Cersei affects all of this. Absolutely. 100%. Where will our jackets be? What will the Black Knight think? These are the big questions coming out of this issue. Next up, Punchline, the Gotham game, number one, from DC Comics, written by Teeny Howard and Blake Howard, art by Gleb Melnikov, spinning out of the back matter from one of the Batman titles. I I think it was Detective Comics, but I'm not 100% sure. Punchline is now free and in Gotham, and she is building up a plan of her own. I want to say it was the Joker series that was mostly about Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, three different takes. I do not get punchline at all. Pete, I know you love her. Take it away. Uh, Yeah, I'm enjoying this. I thought this was a solid first issue. Uh, Just fun. Uh, You know, I like the plan that punchline is putting into place. It's not something that you like, oh, what's, you know, like she's she's spelling it out so we can follow along. I really appreciate that. I also, uh, you know, I I can pick matches Malone out of fucking any. Uh, love uh, you know, matches. Yeah, I love the, the low key. They had matches Malone in there the whole so time. Yeah, yeah, just great. Um, yeah, I, I think. You know, punchline at first when it came out, it was kind of like, wait, what? But I, I'm appreciating what they're doing with her, and I feel like uh, she's an interesting character that can kind of bring some uh, interesting ideas. So I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying. I felt like this was a solid first issue uh, and really set things up and set things in motion. In another uh, comic we're going to talk about, Punchline faces off, pardon me, there's a haunted noise behind me. Uh, Punchline and Harley encounter each other, and Harley's like, I hate Punchline. So I'm I'm on Harley's team a little bit uh, in general. Uh, But I did like this. I uh, liked the use of the Royal Flush game. Yeah! Uh, Often the the Punchline, uh, the lowercase p Punchline of... Any superhero launch um, in this, they're actually used as uh, from a villain's point of view, which I thought was cool. And I like sort of the social media side of this. I'm I want a little bit more inside of Punchline's head, sort of you what her I that. love inside head, just like what makes her different from. Uh, she seems like a less, um, uh, like a more psychologically sound uh, Harley and Joker. She's just yeah. like a bad person. <laughs> so yeah. I want a little bit more nuance there. And um, I checked with our um, well-paid fact checker and I was right about the punchline um, being in the back of the Joker series. Wow. That's great. Uh, pay our fact checker double this month. Wow. Yeah, I do. Thanks. Dead mall. Number one from dark horse comics written oh, oh, by man. Adam Cesar art by David Stahl. In this issue, a bunch of kids go into a broken down old mall. And no, thank you. Encounter. A bunch of creatures that are inside there. What did you guys think about this spooky Halloween treat? Well, well if, you, a- if you have to go to a Spencer Gifts, you're going to go into a haunted mall, right? Like if you need Absolutely. a gift, like you're going to your aunt's birthday and you're like, well, what let me you, go to a Spencer what are you Gifts. you get a lava lamp? What are you looking to buy in Spencer's Gifts? I always gifts? go, when I'm going to the Broken Down Old Mall, I always head to the Auntie Anne's first because nice. the, the old pretzels there still good. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm the gonna haunted go pretzel. To, They're haunted by cinnamon. I go first to the cookie cake place. You know, I have them set up my cookie, cookie cake. cake. Yeah, 
Is that like a friendlies? No, it's thing? a giant like a uh, cookie. You can bake oh. like a giant cookie. Famous Amos? No, no, it's yeah. the the place that makes the uh, giant cookies in Orange in, Julius. Oh my god, you were so <laughs> oh, old, bed, bro. Uh, bed Bath and Beyond. I got it. <laughs> oh Sephora. Sephora. Oh, it's Sephora. <laughs> hey, welcome to Sephora. We've got a bunch of lipstick and eyeshadow <laughs> and a cookie cake. Uh, yeah, so this is this is an insane story. It's just one of those things where it's like at the first sight of anything spooky, I'm going to run. So it's just weird to me that these kids hung out for so long after the creepy picture was taken. You saw the creepy picture. What the F are you doing there? Get the heck out of Dodge. But... um uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, there's a lot of nostalgia in malls, especially for our age group. So it's just kind of scary to see uh, see the mall at night. And I uh, just to throw it out there, I really like the story here. Uh, I love the idea of going to this abandoned mall, and there are these creatures that lure these kids here and are hunting them down. There seems to be one creature that's trying to help them. This seems like a very strong concept. I couldn't quite get on board with the narration. It's this third-person narration that really separates you from it. I assume it's from the direction of one of the creatures who's in the mall. Yeah, but maybe the the lead evil creature, right? It, or maybe the I, next I don't know. One. It separated me from the story a little bit and made me feel like I couldn't quite get into what was happening necessarily. But I don't know how you felt about. I it, did. Justin. I did oh, really or, like the yeah. fun ads. You know the old timey ads that they kind of had throughout. That was that was cool. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by what the rules are of this uh, this mall because it does feel like they're trapped there. And who are these people, and why are they trying to absolutely kill these teens? Yeah. There we go. Strange Academy Finals number one from Marvel, written by Scotty Young, art by Humberto Ramos. This is picking up on the Strange Academy series, which follows a bunch of legacy characters who are all enrolled in a magic academy. Here, a bunch of them have headed to Limbo, I want to say. I'm not 100% sure about that. While a bunch of them are still at Strange Academy, reeling from the death of Doctor Strange. So there's a big mystical war that's building here. Pete, I know you love Humberto Ramos and Scotty Young. So what did you think about this? Well, uh, I I do. I'm a huge fan uh, uh, of both. So I hang on. I'm still uh, pulling it up here. Yeah, I mean the art style is great. Uh, the the fighting though was kind of breaking my heart. The kind of uh, uh, kind of two main characters kind of uh, 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 fighting. But um, the couple, you don't like the fight? No, no. The the two girls who were kind of yelling at each other ah, at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but the yeah, this is a very kind of cool premise, interesting uh, setup. I also really like the uh, the the two that are dating are adorable, uh, and I also thought it was funny how they broke up by the end of it because you know it's a classic young uh, kind of romance kind of thing. Yeah, you can't date a Dormammu. Yeah, I mean that, you know that's going to start out great, but that's going to end poorly. But yeah, I thought it was a cool premise, amazing art, you know, super tight bananas. Uh, so yeah, very enjoyable. Uh, yeah, no, no notes on that. Uh, I would say, I mean, we're reviewing a lot of X-Men books in this stack, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. this 
issue of Strange Academy feels like it has the most classic X-Men feel to it, mm-hmm. um, which I think is interesting. The X-Men have sort of moved very far away from the old, like, a bunch of um, kids who live in a mansion and have superpowers. And this book, if you're longing for some classic X-Men vibes, I think this is a good book to pick up. Yeah, I agree. If you're kind of disappointed in Fuck Island, you know, this is a nice kind of a reprieve. Yeah. Uh, sorry, when you say you're disappointed in Fuck Island, do you mean you're disappointed there's not enough fucking or there's too much fucking? No, I, and, the whole and Pete, I know that was your when you went on the hedonism three trip, I know you <laughs> lodged that Yelp review as I'm disappointed in Fuck Island. Pete? You can talk about here or uh, I'm talking about Krakoa. Oh. We all oh, know I'm talking about Krakoa. Okay. Well, Pete in a way, is sort of a human target. And the next book we're going to be talking about is The Human Target Number 8 from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Greg Smallwood. In this issue, we get Rocket Red is the name of the character. This is one of the one Justice League international character I'm not 100% familiar with. But he comes directly for the human target, who he blames for killing Guy Gardner. Now, we, the reader, of course, know he did kill Guy Gardner. But over the course of the issue, he interrogates him and ultimately comes to an alternate uh, decision. Justin, I know you really like this one, so take it away. I, I love this comic. Is there a better comic on the stands? I don't think so. Uh... It is, uh, like I've said in the past, it is sexy. It is, like, great action. This issue is almost a a bottle issue, a standalone issue, where um, uh, the human target is uh, dealing with the repercussions here before he ends up back in bed. I love that he loses a day. He only has a couple days left. Uh, The stakes are high. This is very James Bondian. Um, The issues of Mad Men, where Don Draper is outside of the office. Like, if you like any of those things, uh, this comic is amazing. Yeah, for me, this was like, uh, at the start of this, this was a slow burn. We got little bits of information, but now this is really humming, and it is just phenomenal. I mean, this has just been, uh, I've been really loving it. The last couple of issues has really picked up the pace and the action, and oh my God, I'm hanging on every panel in this. The art, of course, is super tight bananas. It's just these panels are just immaculate and really impressive. Uh, yeah, I can't recommend this comic enough. I'm having a really hard time not commenting on their use of tight bananas. Let me right, just well, say, I'm having really struggling. You've been with gone not for a while. It's evolved. You know what I mean? I've so, been yeah. gone for one episode, and now you're throwing <laughs> out tight bananas like on every review, every comic you like. You're like, that's tight bananas. Like it's something we all say. And <laughs> I'll is. tell you it's what, I don't say that. I know it's not a comment thing. Why would I ever say tight bananas? Why would you ever want a tight banana? Isn't that a popular thing? Is that like a time, like a President squeezed Biden banana? Did say it in his address the other night. Yeah. Well, this <laughs> is tight bananas. Listen, there's bananas art, okay, uh-huh. and the next heightening of that is tight bananas. Uh, yeah, I, I feel guess like no, you're uh, missing a couple in there, but I honestly can't go back in my memory to remember what they were. So why don't we move on instead and talk about damn them all. Number one from Boom Studios, written by Simon Spurrier, art by Charlie Adelard. In this book, we are meeting a magician who is caught in the middle of a mob war of sorts while demons are growing amok in the UK. This this is great. Uh, this is a great first issue. Yeah. I think if you, uh, you know, there's some pretty particular 
very specific things I think you could call out here. Like, certainly Constantine is a touchstone here, though it feels like it's very much own thing. It's a strong concept. The art from Charlie Atlard is really unique. And the demon of Walking designs, Dead fame. There you go. And the demon designs are great. Um, but also, if you're missing Once in Future for the week or two that it's been gone, I think this is another one you could pick Ooh. up that has a wild, magical, very strong premise and feels like it's about to go balls out into an action movie. Um, what do you guys think about this one? Um, I love the premise. I like that we sort of get the premise up top, but then we really nail it at the end. Simon Spurrier's writing is always like dense and like super uh, vernacular conscious, like really using language and uh, using the way that the people, the characters that um, are in the story actually speak, which I think is cool. Uh, it feels very real, and uh, the art uh, adds a lot to it as well. You're a classically trained actor is showing there. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is such a great first issue. I, I I love what it sets up and then delivers on. Like they do such a great job of kind of like introducing this insane premise and then really delivering on it in such a great way that keeps it action forward and also has like a really fantastic last panel. Uh, Yeah, I was just uh, super impressed with this. Um, And again, super type bananas are just really great uh, from top to bottom. I do want to mention, just based on what you were saying earlier, Justin, I think Simon Spurrier can be very heady sometimes. Yes. The reason that I called out Once in Future is it feels to me the same way with Kieran Gillen. was like, I'm going to write a crazy action book on Once in Future. This, to me, feels like Simon Spurrier doing that. We're like, what if a magician was caught in the middle of a mob war that involved demons? That's basically what it is. Super yeah. fun. Lots of other stuff. It might spin wildly out of control as it goes, but... This first issue was a blast. The Variants, number four from Marvel, written by Gail Simone, art by Phil Noto. Big spoilers here, but Jessica Jones is mixing it up with a bunch of variants of herself from seemingly different realities at the same time as it seems like the Purple Man is making another attack on her psyche. She goes deep inside and finds out some truths by the end here. I think we've said this with pretty much issue, but if you are a fan of Jessica Jones, this is a essential read of a comic book. Great breakdown of all the different sort of versions of her, something that's been with the character since um, her inception way back in the day uh, with Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, and great use of Professor X in this issue. Oh, so good. A character who's been made into something who's a little nasty or at the very least removed from a lot of that the action in the, the X-Men books. But this felt like the, uh, the real Professor X from back in the day here helping out and really enjoyed that. I, I was so blown away. I'm big fan of Gail Simone. She is a great writer. But I feel like with this, she's really found something. And it's really great to see her playing with the different version of Jessica Jones and the way they all interact. It's just really well done. Some just fantastic. uh, uh, It feels like different people talking, even though it's also the same. It's just it's really impressive what they're doing in this issue. Uh, it's also a lot of old school fun here with the covers. Uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, really impressed by this. I was like, all right, what are we doing here? But man, I was really blown away, um, 
by by this issue. This is such a great uh, such a great comic from top to bottom. There's a bunch of really smart twists in this issue, and I'll mention not to keep giving touchstones for it, but if you saw everything everywhere all at once, this is very mm. different. But in terms of digging into somebody's psyche through the use of the multiverse, it's equally smart in a new and fresh way. Plus, Phil Dodo's art is fantastic, and the fact that he's able to yeah. draw all these different Jessica Jones and make yeah. them distinct, but they're all Equally, Jessica Jones is beyond impressive. It's uh, beyond bananas, I would say. Oh, nice. DC vs. Yeah. Vampires, number 10 from DC Comics, written by James Todd IV and Matthew Rosenberg, Archie Otto Schmidt. Bergy. Bunch of stuff going on this issue as we continue to follow a DC universe that's been taken over by vampires. Green Arrow is in a prison camp and making some moves there. Supergirl and company are trying to find a way to get her in sunlight so she can fight back against the vampires. Meanwhile, Gotham, a team led by Barbara Gordon, is taking Damien Wayne and others to take the fight directly to Nightwing, the king of the vampires. I know you guys have been loving this book, so take it away. I, I love it. Yeah. It's just it continues to climb on the list, the my poll list every time I keep Con. thinking like, oh my God, this is so much fun. This is so much fun. And it keeps getting more fun. It, the twist and the turns that it's taking, because I think like, okay, we're gonna settle here, but the twists keep coming. The character development that happens in this insane premise is really impressive. The writing is phenomenal. The art's super tight bananas. This is uh, an unbelievable comic. If you're not checking this out, you should. You think it's going to be one thing. It delivers on multiple levels. Just super impressive. Uh, what what they do is really create uh, great character-specific touchstone moments for all the characters they feature in here. Uh, and I love to see it throughout it is this is truly like some great like really well-baked bananas <laughs> all right let's move on to a book that to be honest i didn't really want to put into the stack but pete kept texting me and telling me that we gotta talk about it we gotta I, talk about I don't it. text you love so everybody knows oh, sorry line. you sent me a bunch of written uh, letters missives you said i want to call them erotic photos it's I, whatever <laughs> like uh, you tell me what they are not even once sure. Lovesick, number one from Image Comics by Luana Vecchio. This is a book about a lady who makes snuff films on the internet. Uh, I'll tell you what, this went so much more hardcore than I thought it would. Well, and you know, I, I agree. I actually really like this issue, and it reminds me of a book we've talked about in the recent stacks, the Kevin Smith book. Um, yes, that yes, I forget. I definitely thought this about is, that as well. This is like the version of that. This is like that book aspires to be this book, and I think this book is nailing that idea a lot more about someone who is uh, sort of using uh, a violent internet show to uh, like get revenge on people who are um, toxic being bad trolls. online. Yeah, toxic it's trolls. essentially like. Really digging it. If you want to talk about the positives of it, because it's very intense to read, it's very uncomfortable to read. It's ludicrously violent. There's uh, sex. There's murder. There's nudity throughout. But like you're saying, Justin, it's definitely digging into the idea of like these toxic trolls who go on dark web forums and rail on women 
why are they doing this? And essentially what this book gets to is the idea that they're doing it because they want the attention of these women. And what's taken that taken to its ultimate extreme, it's her killing them and them saying, oh, thank you so much. Thank you for doing yeah. that. That's what I really wanted you paying attention to me. Um, at the same time, like you were saying, I think getting back to, I think it's called Masquerade, the Kevin Masquerade Smith, is what yeah, it is. Yes. Is getting to the idea of like this character, this main character also needs um, something of her own. She needs a connection of her own. And she's just not getting that because she's all in on this horrific murder live stream. There's one panel there where she lies down with one of the men and yeah. it's just quiet that I was like, oh, that yeah. gets to something much emotionally deeper. But it's to be clear and, I, and not to kick it over to you, Pete, but I think like <laughs> it's a very uncomfortable read. Like it's it's going to make you uncomfortable. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable. It does. It's uncomfortable bananas. Go ahead, Pete. Yeah, it's you know it's a lot of S and M and all sorts of you know stuff and like you know it's it's trying to say stuff and it's you know it's taking some swings. You can't read it in public, uh, you know, and I'm sure it's for somebody. So you know, <laughs> yeah, I got on the subway and I uh, I projected it out of my phone onto the. Oh, wall. smart. Smart. I, I wanted to, to release yeah. Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, and I showed him. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "Oh, I love this. <laughs> oh, this is great. I got to talk to my friends about it. My famous friends. Have you met this them? This is this is what made him cut the three K program, right? Uh, yep. From, from New York City schools. <laughs> <laughs> very, very nice joke. But uh, <laughs> I'll just mention this is also from the artist of Bolero, a book that we liked quite ah, a bit. Love that came out. So even beyond the content of the book, the art is gorgeous. Absolutely stunningly, like just clean art. But like Pete was saying, very uncomfortable book, very hard to read, not for everybody, um, but interesting. And I'm glad I'm glad it exists. I'm glad. I'm glad. Why don't we move on? Talk about New Mutants number 31 from Marvel, written by Charlie Jane Anders, art by Alberto Albuquerque with Rose Stein and Ted Brandt. Now Last week on our live show, we had Jordan D. White, the editor of Marvel Comics X-Men line on. Pete and I, I think, had a great discussion with him, and it really felt uh. like Pete had a breakthrough year in terms of the X-Men books and in terms of understanding them. So I figured after a couple of months of break of not talking about them at all, we could throw a bunch of X-Men books in here and have a real discussion about them, which it wasn't just like fuck island, fuck, fuck island, and then we kind of moved on. So here we go with New Mutants. This is about a new mutant who has the power to switch lives with somebody briefly and it explores them as well as a bunch of other mutants as they go on a classic mutant adventure. Pete, with your new outlook on life, what did you think about this book? Uh, well, why don't you go, Justin? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good sign. Um, I, I like this uh, main character. I like the um, the power set, and there's a, a mystery sort of attached to this series where she has a destiny had a vision where she when she's thrown off a building and to survive she um, trades places with her best friend, and her best friend falls to their death. So I, I, that's really interesting. And then this the book ends up getting into a lot of just like. 
uh, hanging out and a lot of like other sort of X-Men day-to-day stuff. I want to get to that mystery. I like the art changes we get into a, like a Charlie Brown style um, art throughout. There's, there's a lot of creative swings here that I think are, are, are fun and worth checking out. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, the Charlie Brown thing was a lot of fun. <laughs> wow. I, this to me felt a little bit like um, one of the unlimited comics they've been releasing, not to be dismissive mm. of those necessarily, but uh, these are characters that I like. I'm happy to spend more time with them. It doesn't feel like there's a clear concept for this book necessarily yet in terms of it being like, here's a big, bold new run on New Mutants, but... I don't know. I'm willing to read more. And I like the stuff with Martha, who used to be a brain in a jar uh, and is now a brain in a body. I'm curious to see what happens with her. So I liked it enough to read another one, but I understand your guys' hesitance. Let's move on to something that I know Pete is enthused about, though. Catwoman Lonely City number 4 from DC Comics by Cliff Chiang. This is the last issue of what is essentially The Catwoman Rises uh, it's take mm. or the Cat Knight or whatever you want to call it, where it takes place in a post-apocalyptic world where Catwoman is trying to break into Batman's cave after he died. Two faces hot on her heels. Pete, take it away. Okay, they call uh, it the Bat Cave, uh, technically. Yeah. All right, I actually wrote something for this, so uh, please uh, bear the with me hole. here. The Bat. Hole. Okay. You wrote you wait. You wrote something down. Was yeah, it a yeah, dirty uh, lyric? I, uh, I, I, I was so moved by this book, I wanted to, I immediately after reading it, wrote this out because I wanted to bring up all these points, okay? Oh, my God. So, Me first too. off, stru- <laughs> strutting type bananas art, just strutting. Uh, I mean, the panels, the Batcave stuff. I'm talking about double page spread of the Batcave that was just awe inspiring just jaw dropping emotional shit i mean the this is for crock punch yeah i'm talking about come Ma- on you know what i mean Mom's, like mom spaghetti yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah the 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 just crazy the alfred stuff the ivy stuff the ivy tree at the end I mean, I I was just blown away by, you know, the... All right, first off, best use of a slow clap, all right? The Two-Face standing on top of a tank, slow clapping as he enters the Batcave. Unbelievable. Uh, Before you go on, I demand that you release the typewritten note of this (laughs) on Twitter when we post this podcast, because I'm very dubious that you wrote any of this. (laughs) And then just blowing it all the fuck up. I mean, straight rubble. Wow. I mean, you you have this full circle kind of like mayor on top of a roof giving you that kind of Lion King circle life feeling at the end. Hitting you with the jewels glowing in the city night sky. Thank you, Cliff Chang. I thank you. I I I have no idea how long this book t- took to make, but it was so worth it because reading it was just such an experience. It was just so beautiful, and I'm so happy that I got to experience this comic. Straight rubble. <laughs> Straight rubble. <laughs> hey, uh, what did uh, what did Fred, Flint, Fred Flintstone say to Barney when he saw him hooking up with a woman? 
Straight rebel. There you go. Straight rebel. Um, I mean, I I agree with every word from Pete's typewritten note that he just read aloud for us about this book. I write it word for word. I don't know what manifesto. You're Almost oh a manifesto, God. really. I yeah, it was. <laughs> it was ice cold bananas. I have nothing to add. Great book. Great. Great book. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. The Return of Chilling Adventures in Sorcery. Wait, but you guys would agree, though, this book is above and beyond, right? This isn't just a regular. It's a great book. I don't know what you just did, but this uh, Cliff Jang's art is always phenomenal. I think this is a really nice riff on The Dark Knight. I think he did a really good job here. Like, that trope is very much overdone in terms of trying to capture what Frank Miller did. And he found a very Cliff Chiang way of doing it that made sense with Catwoman. Great story. Beautiful story. Uh, loved it. You, and you guys weren't impressed with all he put into it? You weren't just blown just, away? So, loved it. so many positive things about it. Oh yeah, but I think we're all on board. It's just, well, I just witnessed like a, the emergence of a beat poet. And so like, I can't, <laughs> oh I can't add on top of that. When Bob Dylan took the stage at the uh, the Newport Folk Festival, like no one was like, I'll go yeah. after him. This is like the return of the Mac, or rather the return of Chilling Adventures in Sorcery, number one, from Archie Comics, written by Elliot Rahal, Cena Grace, Casey Gilley, and Craig Baldwin, art by Vincenzo Frederici, Corin Howell, Liana Kangas, Pat and Tim Kennedy. This is wrapping up the story of Madame Satan where uh, hell has taken over Greendale High, I guess. Sure. And we're getting a couple of short stories in there as well. Um, There's a goof, a fun goof. Well, let me say the internal sort of uh, scary stories featuring um, our Archie gang, I really enjoyed those. The wraparound, I was like, it felt so like heavy continuity plot. And I was like, what? It drops you in very intensely on like this school is run by hell and this teacher is Madam Satan and you have to she's trying to do this. Like it, it felt like it was asking a lot of uh, narrative, like asking for a lot of information when really I just wanted to read some fun stories about like Veronica murdering people. Yeah. Like the thing that you were talking about, that story where Veronica is like, ah, I need this dress and I need this necklace. And the shopkeeper is like. You need to pay me in some way. You need to give me something back. It feels like those st- that story and other stories straddle this very nice line between an Archie-style punchline at the end and also being something creepy and gross out of yeah. Tales from the Crypt. Um, those walk a very nice line. I agree with you about the through line is very weird. But, you know, the art's good throughout, and that's fine. Pete, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, some of the stories are hit or miss, but the art is great. And also the fun Ver, uh, Veronica collecting organs moment was kind of crazy and fun. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. Overall, it's nice to see Sabrina and, and, and Madam Satan again. Wolverine number 26 from Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Juan Jose Rip. This is following Wolverine as he gets sucked into a auction that is selling him for his organs and pieces. And he is teaming up with essentially the dude from, uh, oh my gosh, the Big Lebowski. Lebowski. Big Lebowski. Thank you. There you go. Who has been this running character throughout Benjamin Percy's run, who is this very old agent of CIA or FBI or something like that. Uh, But 
you know, I, I, I don't know. I Juan Jose Rip is one of my favorite artists for gross over the top stuff. And I think he yeah. absolutely nails it here. Benjamin Percy stuff. He completely captures this character as well as Wolverine, this new agent character that he's been working through. Um, very fun. But I'm curious to hear from Pete again. An X-Men book. This was Jordan in particular was like, come on, don't you like Wolverine? So here we go. Here's an issue of Wolverine kicking off a new arc. What do you think? I thought this was cool. I really liked the the kind of the dude and Wolverine hanging out. And I thought it was this interesting philosophy of life. It's about the small moments. You know, it's not about all the big events and stuff. It's the small calm moments. So I thought that was a fun juxtaposition to show these like epic battles and then just kind of go back to them sitting in a couple of lawn chairs. So I thought that was very cool and also really weird how Wolverine gave a kid a finger. Uh, not like the finger, but like here's an amputated Deadpool finger. So if you guys ever want to go to fuck Island, you can. Um, so the way you say that sounds even weirder. Let me be honest. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I also thought it was, uh, uh, interesting twist where they kind of end up um, uh, where the story and kind of heartbreaking uh, to tell you the truth to see Beast um, you know turn on Wolverine like that uh, I was a little upset that they made us read regular words in this but uh, you know uh, <laughs> regular it's words this whole Krakoan uh, bullshit that we're still Well, we've with. heard what Pete thinks. Now let's see her Justin's position. <laughs> um, I uh, I really like this as well for a lot of the reasons. Love the finger uh, thing and the horrifying moment at the end. This feels like classic Wolverine out on his own from um, back when the X-Men were living at the X-Mansion. Uh, and I'm surprised to see Beast uh, be in that way. Um but uh, in general, I-, I think this is good. This is good X-Men stuff happening here. Tim Drake, Robin, number two from DC Comics, written by Megan Fitzmartin, art by Riley Rosmo. And this issue, we're picking up on the mystery of somebody who is targeting Tim Drake, thanks to classic detective stories and some ghostly animals, among other things. While he's trying to balance his new life, living on a boat and dating dude. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think this was a really fun Robin story. Um, love the the art choice here. It's a cool contrast to the way we normally see Gotham. So I really I love the creativity that's in this book. Uh, I feel like they did an amazing job with the supervillain reveal panel. I I loved all the twists and all the actions. I really think this was a very fun issue. The Riley Rosmo art is yeah. awesome, and this book does a good. This issue does a good job of that. The first time you're sort of out on your own in your life, and you're stressed about all the stuff that you have to do, and you didn't realize that it's all sort of compounding, and you're like, "Oh God, I just want to go out on dates and have fun, but I have to do all this other stuff." And on top of it, uh, uh, Tim Drake is dealing with being a crime fighter. So uh, good. Uh, this book really takes you to a place, both personal and uh, in the superhero universe. I'm really enjoying this quite a bit. Really like the first issue. I think the second issue was a great follow-up as well. Why don't we move on to another second issue with Vanish, number two, from Image Comics, written by Donnie Cates, art by Ryan Stegman. This comic is essentially 
Well, there's a lot of stuff going on here, like we talked about with the first issue. Yes, this issue particularly has a lot going on. There's a very intense 9 11 scene yeah. at the top of this issue. I was like, yo. yo yeah. going so, it's essentially like a Harry Potter esque school was fighting against their Voldemort. They killed the Voldemort, and then years later, Harry Potter is a drunk. And finds out that the people who worked for Voldemort are still alive and now working as superheroes. So he decides to become a supervillain. In this issue, he reconnects with his Ron and goes back to his Hermione, who he is married to. Um, I'll say this. Love the team. Donnie Cates, Ryan Stegman. They're great. I love even with the multiple concepts going on here. I still really like it. I want a little more story in this issue. Yeah. Personally. Interesting. Yeah, I think the the premise and the concepts that are on the table are so strong that I feel like we need to thread them together and, and get moving here. The book feels like it is sort of like a, ha- a little bit of a hang. When I, I do, I agree with you. I want to like really move through this stuff because that's the, the premise, the pace of the stories that the premise is referencing is fast. So uh, I think the book should reflect that a little bit more, I think. I just think there's a lot going on, uh, and I feel like once this kind of like settles down into its kind of uh, – right now it's kind of getting through a lot right now to kind of get to stuff. So I feel like once it settles down, this will be great. It's just, you know, it's like we got nine eleven, then people are pulling their faces off to reveal their uh, glamour, you know, what's going on underneath. So it's like – and then it just keeps compounding from there. So I feel like once we kind of really hit a, uh, this will be great because the team's unbelievable. The art's unbelievable. There's a lot of great ideas floating around here, but right now it just feels a little too much, but I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, it it looks great. Donnie Cates is a great writer. I think it's just maybe my expectations in terms of they're leading into it and the character looks like they're straight out of a Top Cow book. And for Top Cow, mm. I expect the sense of like 90s of uh, we get a little angst and then there's a crazy supernatural fight two thirds of the way through and then a little more angst. And here we're not necessarily getting that. We're mostly just getting the angst part and that's it. Right. So. I don't know. Given what happens at the end here, maybe it'll pick it up a little bit. But I'll always read something from this team, so it kind of doesn't matter. Exterminators, number two for Marvel, written by Leah Williams, art by Carlos Gomez. This is picking up on a first issue that I think we absolutely loved, where Boom Boom and Dazzler and Jubilee are all sucked into an essentially, like, arcade-style fight club situation by a bunch of vampires. Here, it's picking up with Wolverine, a.k.a. Laura, a.k.a. X-23, who has also been sucked into the situation, and they're forced to fight with some mirror fairy magic. It's bloody, it's gross, it's over the top, it's a lot of fun. What'd you guys think? Uh, it's wild. It's This book, it, Across the Board, is over the top. I think we talked about that in the first issue. And, but I think the tone really works, and I like seeing these characters... Uh, being out doing these things, the fact that they're encountering vampires and now fairy mirrors is like stuff that you just don't normally see um, in an X-Men book. Yeah, I think uh, X-23 is great in this. It's kind of an interesting setup, uh, absolutely uh, fantastic art. Um, and it's kind of crazy mirror world that they're in. And it's funny that the, one of them's like, shit, I keep making eye contact. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot going on, but it's also uh, a lot of fun. Yep. 
Actually, uh, one, one real oh, quick, yeah. just a, a PSA. Pete's thrown around the term "fuck island" a lot when in relation to the X Men, and I feel like we should define that. It's not like the X Men uh, continuity is currently an island where the, they all have sex. Well, they kind of. Uh, that, that's a reference to that the island of Krakoa has a, another island that it has a sexual relationship with. And you may be asking, why is that sort of a defining term for the X-Men when that happened in one, maybe two issues of perhaps a year ago? And that's just um, typing in us. They also said that uh, they were they're just kind of they're kind of being like, fuck you. We're going to go live on an island. So they're fucking ah, off to an island. OK. As well. Oh, okay. Cece, I didn't even know that they're fucking wow. off to an island. Yeah. OK. Action Comics, number 1048 from DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Mike Perkins and David Lahab, Lapham, excuse me. In this issue, Clark Kent is oh, really emphasizing the Lapham, which is a weird <laughs> term when you say it so slowly. I love well, a lap I, ham. I like a good lap ham, right? Like a honey baked That's lap when you're, ham. Like at Thanksgiving, you're eating ham, and after the meal, you're like, got a lot of lap ham to finish up. Oh, my God. Got to get back on that lap ham. <laughs> Anybody got a little lap ham that they dropped? I'll take it. Clark oh has two kids that he has adopted from War World. Turns out the new gods don't like that very much and are coming directly for him at, of all places, the Metropolis Zoo. What would you think about this issue? I, I I thought it was uh it escalated fast you know it started off kind of you think like okay we're just gonna get a zoo fun issue kind of people escal you know just kind of like getting used to human life and what humans do um I I think the the setup of the new gods is a fun kind of like versus setup but then it gets it has like a sad sad ending with Metallo. And then this weird naked guy villain reveal where it's like, I don't know if that thing is blocking the guy's junk or if that is his yeah. junk. But that was kind of a weird panel that I felt like maybe DC could have done a better job designing. Um, yeah, you really but, I agree with you, Pete. We really should have seen his junk and like there should have been like. No, not see his no. junk, but it was like. The way it was, it's just a weird panel that I was like, right. somebody could have done a better. You job would have with. liked this if this was a black label book, is what you're saying. But like, no, I'm just a bunch of junk all over the place. No, you know, you know, if like that shows... lovesick book you liked. Oh my god! <laughs> I just feel like you know when they show nudity, you know they'll have like mist covering things, but it mm -hmm. was just like this weird thing that already kind of looks like a metal cock and balls that mm -hmm. is in front of this guy's junk. Pete, so this like, is when you go doing? in with your pencil and you draw the stuff over so you can like yeah. really see it. Like you like you're imagining you draw like on art, my friend. Buy a second um, copy to draw the junk on. No, yeah, that's you're yeah, way one over copy budget. to keep, one copy to draw junk on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'll take second. I'll take my junk copies as well. You can leave those on back because I got to draw the dicks in. Um, that was actually the first page for the backup story, Pete. So the actual last page of is just on Metallo. Okay. Uh, so the the man with the robot junk is. Um, Another different. Okay, from good. Because I felt like, oh man, uh, that's, that's one of my favorite Alan Moore stories. The bad <laughs> <the robot joke. laughs> Um, the man who had it all or whatever. That's yeah. the follow up. Um, I feel like, uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson has just such a great take on Superman. And, uh, we don't get a ton of Superman, um, uh, Cal uh, in this issue, but we get, um, Bibbo, uh, coming back from yeah, back Bobo. in the day. 
love to see him. Uh, what a great Superman character to, to bring back and sort of give his due. Uh, great stuff um, for this issue. And I'll say I love the fact that he hasn't actually moved beyond the war world storyline, that we're still seeing repercussions here. I like that quite yeah. a bit. It feels like he's building a big mythology for the DC Universe, which is very exciting. Let's move on to Rogue's Gallery number Before four. Before we move on, just no. Thanksgiving is coming, so please send any Lapham to our comic book club <laughs> headquarters. I will finish it off for you. Rogues Gallery number four from Image Comics, written by Hannah Rose May, art by Justin Mason. In this final issue of this book, the home invasion happening on our hero, who used to star on a CW-style show as a superhero, is finding herself attacked by a bunch of toxic fans who want to take her down. That seems to be the theme of today's stack. Things end up very poorly and sadly by the end here, but... I really like the series. I thought there was a really smart commentary on fan culture throughout and taking it to its logical extreme with the story. I think this was very well done throughout. Yeah, I also just want to go on record. Uh, Alex keeps saying toxic fans. We love our fans. We don't think you're toxic. This is just the comics we're talking about today. You guys are great. Thank you for listening. There's but- one of there's one of them. Oh, okay. Who's right. a toxic, toxic fan? Yeah. Our toxic fan. Yeah, I think you're talking right. about. It's me. Do you mean me? Yeah, Justin. Justin. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, but uh, to talk about this book, this is a fantastic issue. This kind of like all uh, uh, kind of builds up to this. They do a great job of kind of delivering on the old, you know, like, oh, I'm retired. I hung it all up. All right. Uh, you're going to make me put on the suit one more time and whoop some ass. Uh, great. Love the action. Love all the kind of reveals in this issue. Uh, it's sad to see this end. It really just got going for me. Um, but man, uh, what a what a great! Uh, I would say it really paid off. Built up really well. Uh, fantastic art. Loved it. Yeah, great four issue story. I feel like if you haven't read this, this is definitely worth tracking down. The first four are waiting for a collection, which I hope will come because this, this it's just a really well done story, and it, it gets uh, yeah, it gets into. I'm fine. But <laughs> it uh, it covers all these topics while also having just a great series of action sequences here. Agreed. Yeah. The Roadie number two from Dark Horse Comics, written by Tim Seeley, art by Fran Galan. In this issue, our titular Roadie has found his daughter who is being attacked by a bunch of demons after a rap performance. He is trying to save her, but because he is saving her. The musician that he is supposed to help is put in serious danger. This continues to be a delightfully fun series. If you liked Hackslash or other things that Tim Seeley has done, definitely pick this up. A very, very fun, very goofy, very silly, but also occasionally scary horror book. Yeah, and I want to also because I agree with you uh, completely, and I want to throw if you're a Rick Remender fan, yeah, I think this is a good mm-hmm. book to pick up if you're not getting your Remender fix currently because a lot of his books. Have ended. Yeah, it, it kind of picks up on a little bit of the scumbag vibe a little. Uh, but yeah, I think this is a, this is a fun. A lot of things go down in this crazy kind of last panel. Yeah, the uh, Tim Seeley does a great job of uh, drawing or, or not drawing, but uh, writing action with also some comedy and some real heartfelt moments. So uh, yeah, this is uh, this is cool. Tutti fruity, banana duty. 
Flawed number two from Image what? Comics, written by Chuck Brown, art by Prenzi. In this issue, a lot of stuff is going on. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> end of sentence. Yeah, that no, is it, correct. It, it, here's the thing. I actually really like looking at this book, and I like all the images that are flying at me. There are so many different plots happening at the same time with so many different characters that even two issues in, I'm frankly having a little hard time to focus on. But oh, wow. I like reading it anyway, just because every page is interesting in its own new and different way. Well, and this is one that I feel like when I got to the end of this issue, I was like, right, she's a psychologist and that's her whole thing. (laughs) And that's how she connects with the supernatural universe. So I do think if you read these first two issues together, I think it will, it's setting up the sort of thrust of what this first arc is going to be. Um, but uh, yes, coming in cold on this, I was like, it took it. There is a lot going on. But to uh, your point, the art is very good. Yeah, I love this. I thought it was great. Uh, I I loved all the madness happening, and I appreciated all of her slaps. I thought this was yeah, just like really over the top, uh, kind of one bad thing happening after another, and you know. I'm a sucker for a Tommy gun at the end there. So, uh, yeah, I think that this is just uh, insanity, but also uh, very cool and very interesting uh, kind of setup. And I'm very excited to see where this goes. Love all the uh, kind of craziness and action. The Vampire Slayer, number seven from Boom Studios, written by Sarah Galley, art by Claudia Balboni. In this comic, Buffy is not the Vampire Slayer. Willow is the Vampire Slayer. We don't know why. That's a big overarching mystery. And in this issue, we're definitely delving into how Buffy feels about it as we follow her being attacked by a spider demon type monster who hunts slayers. She keeps insisting she's not the slayer. I know I've said this is reissue. Man, I love this book, and I love it, I think, more every issue. This one, with this new rebooted continuity, I know they're almost definitely not going to kill Buffy, but it got me to a place where the end, where I was like, oh, she's in serious trouble she's here. Gonna die. And yeah. I love that those stakes are high enough that we're actually worried about the person who is ostensibly the main character. The only thing keeping her alive is the fact that she's not the Slayer, Mm -hmm. it feels like, in in a good way. And yeah, I I agree. I think this premise, I'm not a huge uh, Buffy person, but this this comic of all the different Buffyverse stuff that's come out lately, I think is really popping because it feels like it's reinventing the characters in an interesting way that is causing me to lean in and want to hear more about the world. And you got to love Buffy going to the fridge for some late night cheese. Yeah, and that's not going to stop. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah. I thought that uh, this was this was a lot of fun. I also like the foreshadowing of having the little two little spiders in the beginning panels, and then later the giant spider. Um, they say you I, swallow two spiders um, a night. <laughs> Did you know that, Pete? No, that's not that's not it. The Snapple fact is actually that the average human in their sleep eats eight spiders. Every night, every night, that's no, a meal in their lifetime. I usually have my two spiders before I go to bed. When do you guys have smart, your two smart? But I, I the- grill them. And let me ask you, P. <laughs> you've been sorry. You've you've took over from the Snapple lady. How many years ago now? You're sort of a drop Snapple facts pretty aggressively, right? <laughs> uh, all that aside, I think that the. 
Um, it was Wait, a little... was that what you were jotting down earlier for that other comic? Just a bunch That's, of stuff? Oh, that was a snap of that. That's going to be hard to fit that all of that on a cap, but I agree. Good writing. Some good I, writing. I did felt a little insulted that they kept being like, I'm not a, I'm not a vampire slayer. I'm not a vampire slayer. I was like, I get it. I've been reading this comic. I know that you don't have to keep repeating it. I know you are Buffy the Vampire Slayer normally, but in this version you're not. So I just felt like they were kind of hammering that home a little bit where I was just like, all right. Uh, but other than that, um, you know, seeing her get dragged away there, I'm a little worried. So I can't wait to read the next issue and then be, hopefully be relieved of the stress. Relieved of the stress. How many spiders are, are in your mouth right now? <laughs> Pete? Oh my god, so many! You're full so of many. spiders! I'm all spiders, bro. Charlotte from Charlotte's Web has put, uh, <laughs> yeah. put a little Is phrase that your pickup bag. line in bars? You go into bars and you're like, baby, it's spiders all the way down. No, it's like, hey, uh, Snapple fact, I want to get with you. <laughs> <laughs> Snapple fact, I want to get with you. Yeah, yeah. that's all I just. It's <laughs> <laughs> got the cap. Are you a Snapple lady? I'll be your Snapple dad. I'll be your beautiful fact. Sins of the Black Flamingo. I'm sorry. Sins of the Black Flamingo, Mouthful number five. Of spiders. <laughs> from Image Comics, written by Andrew Wheeler, art by Travis Moore. This is the final issue of this book, which is taking our Florida based hero who is trying to save an angel with the help of a golem and a couple of other people from an evil. Human who wants to possess <laughs> the angel. I I love this book. I, I've talked, you know, just to repeat the stuff that I said before, but Travis Moore's art is like Greg Ladd, but you power is used for good. Andrew Wheeler's mm. writing is very cheeky and fun, but there's actual serious stakes here at the same time. This is a great introduction of a character, and I hope they do a sequel series. I think they are based on the back matter in this uh this very comic. Yeah, yeah. I, I just uh, it was it was tough for me because the the cookie tin that they use. I really wanted there to be those cookies in there because mm. uh, I uh, may, I love those old timey cookies that come in the tin. Um, and uh, yeah, mm. I I love the the action in this. Some cool story, some uh, some conclusion, which is nice. Um, yeah, it was uh, it's very well done. Bloodshed Unleashed, number two from Valiant, written by Dennis Camp, art by John Davis Hunt. In this issue, Bloodshot is going through a wild fight um, with a robot-y type guy. Justin, I know you love this one, so take it away. Yeah, uh, I think Dennis Camp is a writer that is really coming onto the scene right now. Um, I talked about this in the live show, but the other series that um, he does currently, 20th Century Men, I think is so good. Um, and and this book as well, really injecting some interesting originality into Bloodshot, a character that most that in the past is like running in and shooting people and then getting shot and being fine. Um, and in this, we get some nuance to it. The the sort of nanite. There's a whole like other person who's a part of his uh, his superpowers, his power set. Um, I, I just think this is really well done. Uh, I love the action of this. The art's great. Um, uh, creepy use of, uh, you know, spoilers cutting from the brain to the cherry pie. Uh, I could have gone without that image in my head. But um, also the kid was a little too clingy for my taste. But uh, I felt like the uh, this was a cool story and well done. In the nanites. 
the real standout here for me was the art. I would say John Davis Hunt reminded me actually a little bit of Juan Jose Rip, who we talked about earlier in mm. the stack, as well as Jeff Darrow, but with tighter panels throughout. Uh, yeah, this was so super tight bananas art. That's what you're saying. Sure, uh, super tight panels that I think were really well done, and I like the layouts throughout. Uh, this is a gorgeous book to look at. Last but not least, Creep Show number two from Image Comics, written by David Lapham and Maria Lapham and Steve Fox, art by Happy. David Lapham and Erica Henderson. This is two spooky, terrifying stories in the mode of the first issue. I think we were pleasantly surprised or terrified, in Pete's case, by the first issue of this book. But what did we think of the second? Uh, I I thought I was pleasantly surprised by this. I thought it was... Um, uh, Still pleasantly surprised. Yeah, yeah. Like the I, surprise is worn off, though, because of the first issue. Well, you know, it's one of those things where, you you, you know, I... I cross my arms when it comes to horror. I don't like to be scared, uh, but I liked the the kind of the story behind it. I thought they, they were really uh, the stories were well done. The tree thing was uh, a little a little too much for me, but I really liked uh, the first story as well. I thought it was uh, yeah, I was impressed and uh, not too scared where I. I hated it. I thought it was just the right amount of scare, just the right amount of story. So I was impressed. Just a little tease. That's why I've waited so long to tell you about the spider that's been crawling up your arm this whole time. Get it off me. Uh, I think this is this is one of my favorites of sort of all of our uh, all of the different uh, anthology horror books that we've been uh, reviewing this month. Um, this one, I think the stories are really good wait, and really wait, different. Better than like Silver Coin, bro. Come on. No, I mean I love Silver Coin. I'm talking I was about the say, ones you you really love. Silver yeah, Coin. Uh, Silver Coin's a, a cut above. The, the ones we've been reviewing that are like a, sort of a, a Crypt Keeper led or Elvira led uh, oh, okay. collection of a bunch of different uh, horror stories. Um, and this one feels like there's not a ton of intrusion of the of the overarching premise. It really is just these stories, and they're fun and different and scary. Yeah, I think in particular, you got Erica Henderson on a scary, horrifying story. That's a selling point for me right there. This is a great collection. And like we talked about with the first issue, it really perfectly channels the idea of Creepshow, both the movies and the show itself. Uh, so great job. Great if, job. Great job, great gang. Job. If you'd like to support our show, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to podcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. To subscribe, listen, and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. I let my lap ham sit for so long, it's covered in spiders. Oh, <laughs> eat it. Eat it. I will. Gotta keep my stats up. Crap